Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. It is July 2022. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. The 2022 Vancouver Jazz Festival has just ended, but it's still an exciting day. And this episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound. Exciting day because Anthony Santorini at 12th Street Sound, he's the owner, operator, and engineer at this recording studio in New Westminster, BC. We've teamed up to create a special offer for listeners of the Rhythm Changes podcast where you can get up to 20% off your next recording project. We're in the second half of the year. So it's time to think about what you're cooking up, when you're going to release it, and what kind of help you need on the production, recording, and mixing side. You can learn more about what Anthony's offering at 12thstreet.ca slash RCP. That's right. He's the longest tenured sponsor of this show, and he's taken his sponsorship to the next level. Very excited to have this commitment from Anthony to create a special offer just for you. So get going on your music this year. Go to 12thstreet.ca slash RCP and learn how you can get up to 20% off your next recording project. That's 12thst.ca slash RCP. This episode is sponsored by Railtown Mastering. This is the mastering studio here in the heart of Vancouver. Andrew Downton is the engineer there. He is very talented. He has lots of great clients. I'm happy to be one of them, but most of them are way, way bigger than me. And I'm thinking about Andrew lately because I've got a project that I'm going to master. And mastering, of course, if you're not familiar, is the final step when you're finishing a recording that you've already tracked and mixed and you need to prepare it for release. So Andrew is excellent at this. He'll always give you a master that sounds way better than the mix you send to him, and he'll be helpful throughout the entire process. He's very affordable, he's very reasonable, and he's a nice guy. So that's why I've gotten Andrew to master my recordings. You can get your recordings mastered with him by going to railtownmastering.com. You can also email him directly at andrew at railtownmastering.com or find him on social media under Railtown Mastering. To contact him directly to get your music mastered this year, Email andrew at railtownmastering.com. Happy mastering in the second half of 2022. I really consider myself as I was growing through all this as a big jazz snob. A lot of the friends that I had going through all those changes with me, a few of them actually mentioned just how surprised they were to see where my journey ended up now and um, how different it is. Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC. This is the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. The 2022 Vancouver Jazz Festival has come and gone, but this show is still your guide to the people, personalities, and projects in the Vancouver jazz scene and beyond, with over 50 conversations to date. Today, I have a conversation about a friend who performed at the festival, launched a new band there, and has a lot of exciting stuff coming up. That's up next. Our guest today is a vocalist who launched a band called Spindle at the 2022 Vancouver International Jazz Festival. Spindle is a seven-piece band featuring them, Thad Bailey Mai on trumpet, Katie Stewart on violin, Madeline Elkins and Thomas Holler on guitars, Sydney Tuff on bass, and Jamie Lee on drums. Spindle has been in development for a few years now, and we're going to hear about that. But this festival performance at Ocean Artworks on Granville Island on June 27th, 2022, has opened the door for the band to release its first recordings in the near future. You can learn more about Spindle and our guest at kreawall.com. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Korea Wall. Yay! <laughs> Exciting. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for Happy coming to, to New here. West. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so I heard the show, obviously, and I really enjoyed it. It surprised me in a lot of ways. I'll tell you about that in a second. But you did mention on stage that 
there was a five-year run-up, basically, if you go to the very first moment of originating Spindle, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And then how did you get that particular group of people together? Because obviously, they're all good friends of yours. And they're good friends of mine, too, because they're in this community together with us. They have been for that whole time. You went to CAP with them. But for those of you listeners who missed the show, can you describe how you came up with the concept of Spindle first? And then we can talk about what the music actually sounded like. Yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> I feel like the concept was mostly just being able to write kind of like my own stories. So it was sort of just a way for me to express what I was feeling and what I went through. And um, the first sort of iteration of Spindle was actually not these people <laughs> that are now Spindle. I feel like I should mention that. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't so know if I that. yeah, there was um, there was one show we did at the Gold Saucer. And it had Parker Woods on guitar yeah. and Miles Wong on drums and Stephen Edwards on bass and, oh, really? and Thad on trumpet. And, and that was like a band, too. I mean, I heard that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And play a few times. And yeah. uh, Clarice actually was on, oh, was on a fiddle. Yeah. So I had written kind of five songs initially that I sort of wanted to do for, for this project. And the show was like super great. Loved playing with them. And um yeah, the, the reason that I sort of changed gears a little bit was mostly just because I wanted to get more female players out there. And um, and I knew so many amazing female players that, you know, just like didn't play as often as, as the big guys in town. So I sort of wanted to venture into asking some people that I knew were super great and were kind of, you know, friends of mine or friends of people that I knew. So I brought all those people in together to just kind of do a session and it was like so magical, <laughs> just like it just sort of answered all my questions of what I had about how this music would work together. Yeah. So since then, um, it's always been this uh, this group of people being Spindle. Wow. So you're almost on like the second lineup of Spindle. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But totally. for most of the time, probably most of the years now. And yeah. Certainly all yeah. the recordings that you've done too because it's a self-recording project at this point yes yeah, yeah it is and that's thomas holler who's taking care of most of that right yeah yeah tom is um i don't even know what to call tom we actually talked about it at one point he was like am i like your producer your manager and i was like yes and my best friend <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah he's uh he's kind of taken on this project multiple times actually this version of our singles that we're going to be releasing soon is the second demo sort of recordings that we've done so we did a couple songs uh about three years ago now we were just about finished them right before uh the pandemic started so because they weren't done and then we couldn't get together for two years when we listened to them as we were sort of thinking about releases and what to do next it was like, you know, we're all like three years more grown. <laughs> so maybe we should just redo this and and see where it takes us. And I think it was a really great decision because the, yeah, the product that we have now is just like so amazing. And that's honestly like really thanks to Tom because he's just given so much time and space. And then we were also able to record some vocals um, at Capsule Studios um, where he works with a team there. So he did all of the recording and the mixing. And then um, we got it mastered at CPS. So you accidentally like backed into nailing the pre-production process. I know. Of. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> and then 
I was a little bit surprised by how rocky it was, you know, in a good in a good way, right? Because yeah. I heard some of the spindle stuff along the way, even though I missed the shows in the early days. But I heard some of the more artsy stuff, for lack of a better word, some of the less aggressive arrangements. And then I heard you mix that kind of music in with some really distorted guitar, some power in the arrangements. And that was such a wide range of music when you took it in all as a whole on the stage. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, you know, just thinking about Spindle as sort of like my own expression, like, I don't know, I guess I just have sort of this like grunge phase going on. <laughs> yeah. And I find that the direction that the writing went in in the past couple years has actually been a little bit more in that vein. And I love it. It's kind of like, we kind of can pull you in with that more artsy, like open chords and like, you know, lots of that sort of softer color. And then we also get this like much more aggressive take on that kind of like sideline jazz influenced thing, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you about something I saw with the corner of my eye. I'm very curious about this. If you want to reveal a little bit of what's going on under the hood at Spindle on stage. Yes. You had what <laughs> looked like a set list oh, on yeah. the floor of the stage, <laughs> but it was not like any set list I had ever seen. <laughs> Tell me about this. Yeah. So the night before, this actually came from just our lack of rehearsal, honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, because we had never had the full band in a room together before the show. So actually, we hadn't all been in a room together like since pre-pandemic time. So three years. And mostly just because we're all so busy and there's just a large number of people needing to get together. So I just figured I would write like a really thorough set list to keep everyone on track. And, you know, there's like the common questions that I knew would come up in that sort of like before you play the tune and everyone stops and then you kind of whisper some stuff to the band and, you know, like, who's going to take us all out? Like, where, where's the coda? And that kind of thing. So I just wrote all of that out. And I kind of also gave some of my own personal thoughts in that set list too. And I, yeah, the band really loved it. I think it actually kind of relaxed everyone too, just to like read. I think uh, Jamie took a photo and posted it to Instagram. There was one like capital letters, do your best yeah, so <laughs> in the set list. So. so that's pretty much all I saw. I should be clear. I couldn't really read anything on it. I just saw that it was an enormous amount of text <laughs> for what I would typically expect from a set list. Totally. Yeah. It was a two page set list, 12 <laughs> songs with like a small paragraph per song. <laughs> hey, more power to you. I think that's cool. <laughs> when I saw that, I was impressed. I was like, I actually wish more people would do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'd never done it before, and, and I think I will always do that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, now that you've done it once, now you've set the bar, so. Totally. <laughs> so are you the sole composer and songwriter of the Swindle music? Yes, yeah. All of the songs are mine, and I do, I do all of the written arrangements with kind of some exceptions, you know, if we're improvising some stuff or just like thinking about arranging especially for the guitars um i would say like both tom and maddie give a lot to guitar arrangement ideas just because they know the instruments and how the the arranging will work together so in that case like that's a bit more of a collaboration but in terms of just the compositions and the lyrics and and you know form arranging that kind of side of things those are all my ideas yeah. But mm -hmm. for instance, one of the impressive things when you see and hear the band on stage is the distinction between the two guitars, right? Because two guitars is a bold move to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then they 
do all the tone chasing. They find their separate sounds. They're really distinctive from one another. Sometimes they even solo back to back. Yeah. And there's a big difference between them and their personalities really diverge. They really come out and they join the rest of the pretty large ensemble. So that's all them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that was one thing that I really, really wanted from Spindle is just having a lot of strings kind of collaborating and but also being really distinctive. And I feel like Tom and Maddie's sounds and just like who they are as people, like they fit so well together, but also separately. And yeah, that's like, I think one of the most like magical parts about Spindle for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for those of you listening who are music nerdy too, um, got to go here. <laughs> so Kriya, how much of this is written down when you hand these arrangements to Spindle? Is there a lot of slashes on the page? Is there a lot of notes on the page? What's actually going down when you deliver the arrangements? Totally. It's it's actually a combination of all of the above. Tunes like Spindle, the song, um, almost everything is written. And the only thing with slashes is mostly just for uh, Jamie and Sydney, the drums and bass. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of notes on the page going on for the guitars. And if there's ever like a distinctive line for the guitars to be playing, then then that's written out. But there's also songs that are that are completely just like lead sheets. The song Easy, for example, was just like a lead sheet with lots of time signature changes and kind of go through some voicings together, just like in rehearsal if we want something really specific. But yeah, there's there's kind of an opportunity for for improvisation in in the chart. But occasionally when I'm really wanting something, then I'll then I'll do a really full arrangement of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when you decide okay what's the shape of the arrangement then for like one that's more of a lead sheet like it's really just like whoever's soloing and then it's just an order and then you come back to the head because it doesn't sound like that it sounds a lot <laughs> more involved and stuff but you're telling me some of these arrangements really are that simple yeah yeah and and sometimes i even write something for like uh thad and katie and then we just ditch it i'm just like just improvise and oh i and, see something yeah. to get started yeah yeah and and sometimes those moments are really nice too i i find that's another sort of duo behind the scenes is Thad and Katie kind of coming up with some harmonies kind of just on the spot or you know that that sort of um add to what I'm doing or or whatever and uh yeah sometimes they make stuff that totally like you're right it sounds like it's not that just a lead sheet <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. so when you stepped off the stage other than just talking to us and everybody who was there to cheer you on like what was your initial reaction after that debut concert yeah i was just so excited and happy honestly um you know you never really know how those things are going to go no matter how much rehearsal you do like there's so many other factors that go into just being on stage and and playing for people um, but I, f I really did feel like it was it was maybe like the best case scenario for our show. It just felt felt really good. And um, just hearing like hearing everyone's feedback, like not only friends and, you know, longtime supporters, but it always like feels really special when a complete stranger will come up to you and, and say what they think and, you know, be so excited about the thing that they just saw when Does they've never happen? heard it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had quite a few people, actually. And 
another cool thing about it is that like people of all ages uh, kind of came up. So I had some like, that's true. yeah, like some kind of younger, younger people than me be really excited about it. And then also some, you know, older jazz fans in their like 50s and 60s just like be really into it, which was super cool. <laughs> yeah. And when you got mm-hmm. such a broad range of music in your arrangements that you're deploying, you know, there's something for everybody too. Yeah. Even though it's like a pretty ambitious project, it can still have something for everybody which is cool yeah totally and that's yeah. a very self-selecting audience too like the people who are going out on that afternoon in the mm-hmm. jazz fest like they're yeah. down for anything right <laughs> yeah so totally it's a great place for spindle mm-hmm. now i know you referenced a little bit about with the covid jazz fest kind of dance and stuff it took you a while to kind of get to this point it could have maybe happened earlier but it didn't mm-hmm. we don't have to get into all of that <laughs> but given that it did kind of get delayed sort of maybe from what you originally expected it to did that allow for your mom and your family to be in the audience and how special was it for you that you had them there? Yeah, no, that that is so true. Um, in the past three years, uh, my parents moved back to the island and they were previously in Alberta. Um, my brother graduated from high school and moved out and he lives downtown now. So they were all just around and able to come and, and hear it. And it was actually the first time that both of them had heard Spindle, really. Okay. Yeah, my brother heard it in like the earlier stages and and said that it wasn't even like <laughs> <the same. laughs> What do I make of this? Yeah, I, yeah. totally. Um but yeah, that was the first time my mom actually got to hear the band and and she was like completely in shock about what it was cuz probably the last stuff she heard of mine was like, you know, my grad recital from from Cap, which is very just like jazz. I had a couple of original songs, but they were nothing to do with like the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've gone through quite a musical evolution because if I'm not mistaken, your real musical training kind of began in Kelowna, right? Mm -hmm. In the Okanagan. And at that point, you become known in your community at a pretty young age for being a jazz vocalist and for really (laughs) taking on that tradition and really growing within that, right? Yeah. And then you take that to Vancouver, to CAP. Mm-hmm. And you continue developing it there. And then I guess as you meet the people and as you listen to more things and you just get more life exposure, then you branch out, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I really consider myself as I was growing through all this as a big jazz snob. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really funny how a lot of the friends that I had just even in early cap and, and you know, going through all those those changes with me, a few of them actually mentioned just how surprised they were to see, you know, where my where my journey ended up now and um, how different it is. Like the writing that I'm doing is really not anything to do with, I would say traditional jazz other than the harmony really. Yeah. It's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. So that move to Vancouver, that was in 2013. So you've been in Vancouver for nine years now. Mm-hmm. You were born on the Sunshine Coast. You went to high school in Kelowna. Do you consider Vancouver to be home? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I don't think I've had this feeling in a city where I can really sort of feel my place in it now. And I've always sort of considered the West Coast to be home in terms of just the land and the ocean and the mountains and the forests. Like, as you can probably remember, all of the songs have something to do with that, really. And it's pretty integral to who I am. Um, And I feel all those things in the city. And I actually did live here once before. Um, Yeah, I lived here when I was in kindergarten. (laughs) So I had a I had a Burnaby kindergarten experience in the lower mainland briefly. 
and I've moved around a lot growing up. Uh, I also lived on the island a little bit and I lived in Nelson. Yeah, so after moving around a lot and experiencing a lot of different places in BC, this is definitely the place for me here. And of course that may change down the down the line, but yeah. And it is the longest that you've been in one place. Yes, yeah, nine years is the longest I've ever lived in a place. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what you opened with in terms of talking on stage between songs about what the journey of making Spindle has unlocked for yourself or taught you about your own identity or anything like that. And you did take that some other places. So if -hmm. you'd like, is there anything else you want to relate based on what you said on stage for the listeners here about what else you learned about yourself, like on the personal development side and on the identity side from doing Spindle and as the time went on? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was funny. The first show I ever did with Spindle, I came out to my dad with a song called Closet Woman. Um, Which you performed. Yeah, yeah. That song was just about being um, being gay. Yeah. <laughs> I I do identify as being pansexual. Um, and then this thing happened kind of over the pandemic where I was really sort of, you know, as everyone was, a bit more in isolation and a bit more with my own thoughts. And something that I had always known sort of like came up in my brain that I finally sort of felt okay addressing which was about gender yeah so it was kind of funny I didn't realize that I came out again as being (laughs) non-binary on stage at the show until we were all you know eating and chatting after the after the show um together the band and Maddie was actually like you came out (laughs) and I was like oh I did I guess (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah as as a lot of people know like coming out isn't really a one one time thing right it's a process over over years and maybe a lifetime of just figuring out what what you want to call yourself even if you know what you're inside is you know so that was kind of it for me and um I had already came out to myself about three years ago and I was sort of still in the process of figuring out what that meant for me whether or not that be like pronouns or you know all of that kind of stuff what I wanted to identify as and um now I've kind of come to a place where I think that 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 word for me is non-binary and I'm actually okay with all pronouns um he, she, or they. And I do have a preference when it comes to people that don't know me. Like I do prefer to be a they, them in general. And the reason that I'm okay with gender language is actually a bit more like from a playful place. Cause I, I noticed that I, I had a lot of gender affirmation and kind of joy from hearing certain things that you wouldn't expect. So like one time when I was teaching a student he accidentally called me dad. <laughs> he was a seven-year-old and, you know, like young kids like sometimes mess up and call their teacher's mom or dad, right? Okay. But he called me dad and it was like the best day ever. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I had to tell all of my friends. <laughs> and that, that was actually one of the moments where I was like, why do I feel so happy about this? You know? Yeah. Just going on like my my brother calls me bro and things like that. And, and you know, Thad will often call me certain things that are more on the female side of yeah gender and I'm I'm totally okay with those um so that's that's that that's my my uh I guess gender and sexuality journey in spindle it's definitely been in there the whole way which is pretty cool wow yeah thanks for sharing that yeah it's really (laughs) really fascinating to get 
kind of down a level here from just the like the kind of new album out in the show thing. Yeah. So really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah for totally. Sure. Yeah, a lot of the songs are are really just my own thoughts, you know, own experiences and I think it is important to do that as a an artist to a certain degree because, you know, it's only going to make people um people feel better about their own stuff if you're able to kind of put that out there for them too. Yeah. All right. Painting. That's the last thing I want to hit for sure, because I've been a fan of your painting for quite a while because you painted the cover art for, it was actually the first single I ever released, uh, Lutan by William Chernoff. And that track ended up becoming the music that I use on every episode of this show. So I still have the original painting of the Lutan cover art right behind me in the (laughs) home office studio. So I think about it often and I like this particular style for the kind of music that I made at the time. So mm-hmm. that's why I was drawn to it when I saw you were doing this kind of poured painting style. I was like, yeah, give me some of that for sure. And you've taken that several levels down the road and your paintings have been shown uh, in this province and you're developing that quite a bit. You've done a lot of workshops too. So talk mm-hmm. about your painting journey, just how, wherever you want to begin, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So I've always... Um, I've always painted stuff. Uh, Growing up, I did more kind of watercolors and oils, um, just kind of for fun and to, you know, do something different. Because even at a young age, I was sort of absorbed with music life. So it was nice to have something creative that wasn't music to be able to put some energy into. And then it was a bit of a pandemic project um, to get into pouring because I just saw some videos and I I knew about it and uh, I was always sort of searching for something that kind of fit with that fluid abstract colorscape thing than what I was doing before which was a bit more like landscapey stuff Um, so yeah so I just kind of uh, got obsessed with it (laughs) spent a ton of money on getting all of the like (laughs) initial supplies for everything um and yeah the the kind of beginning era of the paintings I mostly just gave away to family and friends and um they were still really nice uh but over the next couple years I found that I got really really good at just figuring out how to get a certain result which is really hard to do with pouring because it's very spontaneous and you know you just have to kind of go with what you pour which is actually like super therapeutic as well oh yeah (laughs) it's kind of like you have to learn to just like give into it a little bit you know um but yeah so i i was just kind of working at that and then my goal with the business was just to be able to get enough money from it so that i didn't have to spend money on the supplies so that it would just be a neutral hobby that i could do this year I'm actually making some money from it, which is really cool. That's there you, go. <laughs> you know, a bit of a surprise <laughs> for me. But yeah, and I find that just like you said, that that kind of more fluid style, it really fits with a lot of different types of music. And something that I wanted to do with Spindle too. So I'm making uh I'm making my own art uh for the single releases which is why it's taken so long to release anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the first one's done now. So that's going to be, yeah, it's like all ready to go now. I had sort of a set of colors in mind for each song. So I'm going to do a painting for each song, whether we release it as a single or not. So I really sort of want to combine 
what I'm doing with my painting to get that happening in Spindlemore because really it's like all kind of the same it's just like my own stuff being put out there yeah and now I'm doing a lot of different things I've got a website going it's uh kreapaints.ca yeah I also did uh a pride event recently where I did a whole bunch of different fluid pride pieces, which was really, really fun. And then I'm also selling stuff in a store in Victoria called The Nooks, which is a, it's kind of a Canada wide store that um, has a lot of Canadian artists and artisans that just make stuff. And then they, they have their own shelf and kind of like a collective artisan store, you know, so I've got my stuff there in Victoria right now. And then, yeah, I do workshops occasionally, too, when I can kind of plan a date to have them. And then I've also been, like, booked for workshops as well. And I've been hired to do album art by some other groups as well. My art is going to be on the Earth Tones album okay. coming out sometime, maybe. Also, they better just, reach out to me. <laughs> they're coming on the show, whether yeah, they like it or not. Yeah. I, I haven't really shared the piece yet because obviously I want them to be the ones to share yeah. it first, but <laughs> it is really cool. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's really neat that I can sort of offer that to, you know, friends and musicians that that want something kind of unique for their album art or their single art or, or any of the above. So yeah, hit me up if uh, if you want that. <laughs> there you go, multifaceted, the yeah. interdisciplinary artist life of Korea Wall. There yes, you go. Now that's, you can, that's now exactly it. All. it. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a very expressive project. Spindle is, and it fits into everything else you're doing. It's really mm -hmm. cool to see it really stepping out, and I'm very excited for your single releases. Yes, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what you hear, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write by email. This week's article, available now on the web, is a review of a new album by Jacob Chung, a young saxophonist from Toronto that is making waves across the Canadian hard bop scene for its young enthusiasm. You can check that out, and if you like what you hear, sign up for future editions of the free weekly article at rhythmchanges.ca.